Be a Better Speaker, the podcast with me, Graham David. In this podcast, I want to look at how to sync your training. No, not sync as in sync for synchronise, but how to sync without a trace, never to be seen or heard of again. Uh, why would you want to know how to sync your training? Well, you don't. Of course you don't. You want to know how to make your training flourish and sail and be brilliant. But often um, I look at what organisations do, whether with in-house resource or um, with external suppliers. And I was thinking about this just a few days ago. I was talking to a client and they said, of all the events you've done, of all the, the, the processes and all the um, programmes you've rolled out, what hasn't worked so well? And, and I don't mean this in a big-headed way, but I was really, really thinking to, to come up with some examples. And I, and I really struggled. But as we were talking, I, I came up with a few bits and pieces over the years that I remember not working as well as they might have done. And it occurred to me it might be quite an interesting topic for a podcast. So, how to sync your training. What I've got is five key things that I've seen organisations do. Sometimes it's been individuals within those organisations, power-crazed people. And sometimes it's just been the way that they do things around here. Um, And these seem to affect both internal resource and they definitely affect external suppliers so i thought i'd share these with you these are five things you can do if you absolutely want to sync your training of course if you want to see the positive out of this then make sure you don't do any of these things and all will be good so let's crack on with these uh, these five key things the five ways then to sync your training Number one, start with the um, start with the people closest to the training need. In other words, start with the first line uh, team members. Start with the people that are close to the customers. Start with the people that do the actual work. Now, this sounds like really sensible, and many many clients I work with say we want to start there because we know it will have the best impact. And I, and I get the sense, or what appears to be the sense behind that. The difficulty is when training is rolled out that way. Unless the upper levels of management and senior team are absolutely 100% behind the training, then this is not going to work. And the reason, of course, is that uh, training takes time. You take people out of the workplace. You take them away from what they're paid to do. And then operations get involved. And once operations get involved or production, then there starts to be an issue because they are seeing um, a, a drop. They're seeing an inconvenience. They're seeing... Uh, a lower level of service and this is not what they want and inevitably you end up with a situation where people go on a course and assuming the course has worked well and and everyone's raving about it that's all very positive but they go back and their boss or their boss's boss all they can see is well you've now got to work twice as hard to make up your time off which is sometimes how it's seen very recently I saw a client that absolutely was determined to do this and uh, despite all advice that was offered or despite all appearances of wanting to know what an expert perspective was they absolutely committed to starting at the at the coal face as they kept saying and rolling out a, a very ambitious training program now the result of this was that there was huge numbers of delays and blocks and things that got in the way of some of these people attending the training and then of course uh, this led to a, a whole problem with trying to capture people, get them to come on the course, get them to attend, uh, and it rolled right the way through. So, so what they had was 
um, I think at SLT level, at board level, uh, a commitment to do this work. At the, at the ground level, they had people doing the training, and then there was a, a bit of a grey area in the middle who, who all said the right things. They said they wanted this to happen, but they weren't as bought in as they might be. And one of the simple ways to fix this was actually they what should have been considered was starting the training at some of those higher levels. Because by doing that, we can start to give context, we can give shape, we can give a, um, a bigger view, we can chunk up, whatever your favourite terminology is, and we can offer those different levels a bigger, better perspective of why this is happening. And then as you start to roll it through, you're building momentum the right way around. Now, everybody wants to start with, let's get it done so we can see the impact. Of course, I see the sense in that. But this is one surefire way to sync your training. Let's move on to the second way to sync your training. The second way to lose the impact of your training, to make it not as successful as you might want it to be, is to start a massive, ambitious, right the way through the organisation bit of training. That's a surefire way to make it way more difficult than you need. Or what you could consider doing is, is it's taking really a, a bit of a leaf out of the way that um, sometimes very successful online industries have, have launched, got a bit of a following, and then become very successful apparently very fast. And that is you start with your big win. You start with the thing that you want to achieve most. Now, bear in mind the first thing that you're, that the first area I talked about, which was to start with more senior people and then roll downwards. Take the same approach with this with what's the number one skill or change in behavior or new ability that we want in our people. And what is it that we want to see that achieve, change, alter, start doing, stop doing, whatever your terminology is. But be really clear about that and find that single thing. Now, it feels great, of course, to roll out six modules over 19 cohorts or 32 different ways of defining leadership or all these other things. And maybe that's what you have to do. But every time you do that, you're just adding so many levels of complexity and chances for things to go wrong that increasingly things go wrong. So my strong suggestion is you find, um, to use horrible training terminology, you find your low-hanging fruit, you find your quick wins, and you hit them first. Part of the reason, of course, for doing this, particularly for an organisation that maybe is a little adver adverse to training, or maybe it's had some poor training in the past, or no training at all, again, this is very, very common, is we need to start showing people this could be good. This might be something they enjoy. This could be something that actually helps them do their jobs better and more efficiently. So if we start with something that we know is going to work and we then start to roll that out, then when we roll our second or our third wave, whether these are topics or subjects or different modules, however you define this, um, different parts of the business, it allows us to, to, to start to build some credibility. It allows us to start to build a bit of a, a, bit of a head of steam and and. and get people really into the idea of doing this and move them away from training being done to them and instead training that they actively want to participate in and contribute to and see make a difference. So that has to be our second way. If you want to sync your training, start massive all the way at the same time. But if you want better than that, do it in sections.
Number three. Uh, so this is quite a weird one. Um, to sync your training, you should absolutely ensure you have huge numbers of reporting lines, reports, different people, meetings, catch-ups, feedback sessions, and an entire series of spreadsheets and processes that need to be followed in order for this training to work. Yeah, not really. That, that's absolutely some great ways to sync your training. One thing that's really common, and um, I think this often comes from people like operations or HR, with every respect to people in operations and HR, being way too close to the training process. Now, if we work on the basis that all different teams and functions are within an organisation trying to do the best, right? Let's, let's start from that perspective. And let's start from the perspective that everybody, everybody's version of doing their best is going to be a little bit different from everybody else's. One of the problems with allowing other parts of the business to start to define how we're going to run, measure and administrate this training process is that we end up with huge numbers of additional duties and work and effort. And, and frankly, the whole thing becomes an industry in itself. Now, when you do that, you're absolutely putting way too much pressure on the L&D team, if there's one, or the external provider, if there's one, or, or even the, the poor souls who have been cobbled together to try and make this training work. So what we need to do is something that is agile and a light touch. And these are phrases that people love to bandy about but we do need to know who's been invited on training courses. We do need to know who's attended. Those who haven't attended, we need some kind of process for dealing with that. We clearly need to record how well training's going. We need to know the spend that is being accumulated, whether that's external or internal. So we need to have some idea of all of that. We need to see how well the training is, is being considered. But I've absolutely seen this really sink organisations where they've, uh, they've piled so much into this that actually you have highly qualified L&D people or HR people uh, or you have people who are working in um, an administrative support function who are absolutely overwhelmed with the demands made by people in operations, by people in production, by people um, external to that central part of running the training. And as I say, it all comes from a good place, but it doesn't necessarily help the process or the training. So you might like to consider whether that's worth doing or not. Number four, if you want to sync your training, absolutely make everything mandatory. Do not let anybody have any reason why they should never attend. If you have mop-ups or follow-up courses for anybody that got missed, force them to go on it. Even if you have to go to their home, drag them out of their sick bed and stand over them while they attend. All right, okay, fine. So that's what you can do if you want to sync your training. But there's a problem here, right? Because training uh, any program like this is going to be expensive. It has a high hit in terms of direct cost and in uh, implied cost and resource cost. So we want people to go. The problem is that not everybody's that keen on L&D or training. And there may be very good reasons for that. But simply making everything mandatory is not always the best way to go. Even a moment's thought will tell us that if people are forced to go, then many of them are just going to check out. So even though they turn up and they sit there, they've checked out mentally. And you've got to then ask, what's the real cost of that person being in the room? Because they're not doing whatever they're paid to do, 
And if they're committed to not joining in with the training or not getting the most out of it, we're still paying for that training, but we're not seeing any benefit. So what's the solution here? Well, what I've found seems to work very, very well is it's a little bit of demand-led training. It's a little bit of um, here's the module, here's the program, here's the cohort that we're offering. But as I said at the start of this podcast, if we start this small, if we start with the quick wins, if we start with the topics that we know there's a high demand for and we start to build some of that up, now, actually, if you can do that, not only is it more manageable, manageable to begin the, the new rollout, but you, you start to build some following. You start to build um, a core of people that want to do this. Now, inevitably, at some point, you are going to have to make some of the training mandatory for some people that don't want to go. Right? That's just the way it works out with people. But... If we build this, if we also, of course, make sure that the training supply is really good, so we've got to make sure that what we're doing is fantastic quality. There's no excuse for it not to be. But a combination of all of these elements, just bringing in little bits of work, increasingly acknowledging that this presence is there and it's going, it's not going to go anywhere, is, a, is often a rather more elegant way to get people engaged and want to be engaged with what's going on. You know, once your colleague says, well, I went on that thing, I wasn't so keen, but actually I've picked up three or four uh, skills. Um, people talk about tools in their toolbox, don't they? I've got some tips, I've got some techniques that I didn't know before I went. That was great. That's often the way. It's the water cooler talk. It's the canteen talk. It's the people that, people that chat offline afterwards that say, yeah, it was useful. That's what we've got to be working towards, not a blanket mandatory process where everybody must go. And number five of how to sync your training. Right, okay, so you've paid all of this money to this external organisation. You've got your L&D function, right? These are people who just seem to sit around all day and mess around with flip charts. And they get all the glory because when their training works... Everybody says how great they are, right? This is L&D or this is your external provider. It's frequently the case that external providers or the internal L&D function largely get not quite as much support as they might like from the rest of the organisation. And again, I get this, right? If you're in production, if you're in operations, if you're in HR, you look at people in L&D or external L&D and they do seem to be having all the good time of it. They seem to be doing the stuff that people like. They seem to be doing the things that people rave about. And whether it's conscious or not, and I'm sure it's not, it's easy for us to assume they don't really need the support. They don't need uh, a bit of help that perhaps other parts of the business do. And actually rolling out any new program um, is incredibly exhausting. It, it Physically, mentally, sometimes emotionally, there's a lot that has to be worked through. Delegates um, clearly don't often see the work that goes into and behind the scenes for a live presentation, and that's fine. L&D people know that. But, but often the people that are booking the training or buying the training or arranging the training in-house equally don't appreciate the range of skills and work that has to go into getting the programme as far as it is. So it's very often that somebody in L&D will get a call or an email saying, yeah, you know that course we've got for, I don't know, customer service? 
uh, we've been doing it for this part of the business. Could you just tweak it and make it available for this part of the business? Now, don't get me wrong, most decent L&D people can and will say, yeah, of course, absolutely, be delighted to do that. But that is some more work, that is some more effort. Often, L&D people will get calls very, very last minute, right, we're going to need to move this, bring this forward, swap that round there, do all of this. And again, part of this is, is just the, the way it is. This is part of the way that the, this industry works. It's part of the way that this sector works, and that's fine. L&D people know that, they understand that, we're good at working with it. But I might suggest that if you want to get the best out of your L&D support, whether internal or external, it is worth finding ways to support them as best you possibly can. So that's it for this podcast. Uh, I really hope you've enjoyed listening to this. If you have any questions or comments or observations, I would be delighted if you would send those in. You can do that by um, using the voice link. And uh, if you've got a good question, a great question, a great comment, observation, I would, of course, be very happy to add that to the next podcast that I run. Um, Alternatively, if you just want to send me something offline, that would be great too. So please do uh, drop me your messages, your comments, your questions, your observations. Uh, Find me on LinkedIn. I'm Graham David and then the number one. That's Graham David and then the number one. Uh, Or, of course, you can look up our website. That's Blue Beetle, bluebeetle.co.uk. This has been Graham David for Be A Better Speaker. Catch you next time. Thank you.